happy Friday to all the listeners who tuned in on time, as I always appreciate. Welcome to yet another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast, broadcasting to you live over Facebook Live from downtown Newark, New Jersey, overlooking the Empire State Building, all the beautiful buildings in Newark, like the National Newark Building, 1180 Raymond Boulevard, the Prudential Center, better known as the Rock to Devils fans, and generally all those bright city lights that I'm staring out at as I communicate with you over this beautiful digital medium that wouldn't have been possible too long ago. Tonight is yet another night of the summer. Although the summer has been long and the summer has been hot, the fact is that the days are getting a little bit shorter, the breeze is getting a little bit cooler, and we are nearing, whether we like it or not, and whether we perceive its quickness or not, we are nearing the fall and the autumn, and you could almost feel it in the air just a little bit as we go through these dwindling mid-August days. Now this is the week of the Democratic National Convention. This is a week of some serious news stories. And so we're going to discuss all of those things. Before we do, i got to remind you that anything I say on this podcast is strictly and solely the opinion of myself, Lawrence Crane Jr., and only me. And my personal views don't reflect the personal views of any other entity at all. All that being said, let's discuss what's going on these days. The COVID is still ravaging the country, but I think that's somewhat farther from people's minds than whether it should be or it ought to be, whatever. It simply is. Today, well, first of all, before I even embark on that, I want to just point out the excellent and, you know, dope music recognition skills of Rick because Rick every time I put it it could be the most obscure jazz thing ever it could be the most smooth obscure soulful 70s fusion track and he is calling it so quickly and he's just on it and it's just dope and perhaps that's why he's got good taste in music and he knows you know the best rappers to listen to in the Jersey area Luciano cough but hey Maybe that's why. I just want to point that out. That was dope. And DZ, here in the bottle pop, I was all the way in the kitchen, which is far away from this microphone, which is really just my phone. And that's pretty impressive, considering the condenser microphone I usually use on these, you know, I usually use to record music would pick that up. I had no idea that the cell phone would pick that up, even with the acoustic shield around it facing the opposite direction, etc. So that's interesting. But all that... You know, kind of out of the way, the little preliminaries, the little shout outs to listeners. Look, today we got news that Steve Bannon, who is one of Trump's most ardent supporters, one of Trump's, the, one of the original architects of the Trump presidential run, one of the original architects of the Trump campaign who really solidified Trump's And I think Trump already had an inclination toward this nationalistic way of being and this nationalistic political posture, don't get me wrong. But I almost think it's this weird feedback loop where Trump is getting his 
marching orders per se from right-wing media moguls and right-wing media outlets. Yet, you know, he himself is further, you know, proliferating the messages of these right-wing outlets and it's this endless feedback loop where Trump is simply regurgitating the, you know, proclivities and the ideological leanings and the the news of the right-wing media outlets himself, even as he receives it. And I bring that up because Steve Bannon was one of the primary drivers of this in the Trump campaign. And not only in the Trump campaign itself, but he was one of the primary drivers of this on his own. So if you don't know, which most of you probably do, Steve Bannon was the uh, CEO of Breitbart News for a time, following the death of Andrew Breitbart, who was one of the original founders and obviously the namesake of the media company. Today he was charged, and the, the, the details of what he was charged with, essentially, Mr. Bannon had started this uh, GoFundMe, this crowdfunding campaign regarding the building of the border wall with the U.S. border in Mexico, as we all know. Now, now this was some crowdsourced campaign. He, another individual who was a more middle-class, you know, individual and some other wealthy individual had started this crowdfunding campaign, you know, a GoFundMe, if you will, to finance the border wall against Mexico. Now, interestingly, Trump's mantra the entire election was that Mexico was going to pay for the wall, right? So already we have some interesting dynamics where people are anxious to fund the wall themselves, even though a primary message from the Trump campaign was that Mexico would pay for it. Now, we all know Mexico wasn't going to pay for it anyway. Maybe they did, and that's why they were willing to participate. Maybe that's why they were willing to contribute. Who knows? Long story short, Bannon, who was one of the original architects of the Trump campaign, who was a chief advisor to Donald Trump in the early days of the presidency, who was forced to resign only after he butted heads with under other individuals involved in the administration, has been charged, as of this week, with fraud. Now, the fraud stems from federal charges and and they stem from federal charges involving wire fraud and wire fraud is simply a jurisdictional hook that's lawyer jargon it's not that important long story short prosecutors are accusing mr bannon of utilizing the funds given by rank and file normal americans for to build the border wall misallocating those funds and insidiously um reappropriating those funds through various intermediaries so that he could use those funds to finance his own lavish lifestyle. So essentially, folks, all he did was take that money from regular Joe and Jill Americans, and I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek for later, but he took it from normal Americans and he pocketed the money. And now he's charged with it. And he's out here saying this is all an effort just to thwart the, the building of the wall. Now that's ludicrous, right? Because we know that the wall has barely been built since Trump's been in office. It's been an unmitigated disaster. It's been an unmitigated unfulfillment of a campaign promise. Trump has not delivered on this promise. Now, people like myself were against the wall in the first place. So I'm glad he hasn't 
delivered what he promised, obviously. But it is worth noting that he did default on that promise, right? He did not deliver on the border wall but for a few miles. That being said, this crowdfunding campaign, partially run by Steve Bannon, has been uncovered, and folks who did donate to the wall construction have been essentially ripped off by Steve Bannon and his colleagues. They have taken the funds from the wall, put it in their own pocket, and have spent it on lavish things like, I think he was arrested on a yacht off of New England, where he was with a Chinese, a disgraced and exiled Chinese businessman who's wanted for fraud and things himself in his own country. That is where Mr. Bannon was arrested, and he has been using the funds donated by people for his own uses. Now... Why is that noteworthy? Why is that newsworthy? Well, it's interesting, right? All of these Trump supporters are consistently out there touting conspiracy theories, touting the deep state, touting the Hollywood elite and their relationship in conjunction with the deep state forged to disenfranchise regular Americans and to steer things in the wrong direction. However, it's so interesting. If you've read about Steve Bannon, you might know that Steve Bannon himself was a Goldman Sachs executive. He was a Goldman Sachs vice president, quite frankly and quite accurately. And Steve Bannon was actually a Hollywood elite during the 90s. Steve Bannon helped to finance several films. Steve Bannon was a film executive. And this is the man who claims to be leading the charge of everyday Americans in the face of a globalist elite, in the face of a conspiracy-laden globalist elite, which only seeks to disenfranchise everyday Americans and harm their well-being. Yet, and they'll gladly tout that conspiracy, and they'll gladly tout Steve Bannon and people like him as bastions of righteousness. Yet... When you actually look at Steve Bannon, he himself is a member of the Hollywood and banking elite, the international elite, and he is literally ripping off everyday Americans in a scheme to fund the wall. Now, what's even more newsworthy about that is the fact that the catalyst for his fraud, the tool that he used to rip people off, was itself, was itself the message of isolationism, the message of xenophobia, the message of construction of the wall. He is defrauding the people as an elite Hollywood person, as an elite banker, under the guise of the fact that he is a warrior at the forefront of everyday Americans against the Hollywood elite and the corrupt bankers. You cannot make this stuff up. It's stranger than fiction. It's in the meat of the articles under which you may just read the headline, share, and move on. These are the things that concern me, and these are the things that concern all of us. The current president of the United States just had his seventh, seventh member of people in his immediate circle who participated in his election, 
who helped to advance his interests, who helped to sell his agenda to the American people, the seventh one of those individuals, has now been charged with a crime. I don't think anybody's surprised per se, but at some point, we need to stop with the false equivalencies. We need to call out people who attempt to assign these things any kind of fabricated equivalency. And we need to recognize and realize what we're up against and what we are dealing with. The fact is, and this is interesting, Rick points out, all of a sudden Trump doesn't know Bannon. And that's one interesting thing, right? He's going to hire all the best people, Trump. He's going to hire all the best people. And he's going to, you know, surround himself with people most qualified to tackle our most challenging problems. However... Time and time again, we've seen that these trustworthy, great people have been indicted, have been pushed out of his inner circle one way or the other. And whenever they displease him, despite their qualifications, they are dummies, they're unqualified, they're stupid, he doesn't want to associate with them. And any time that they get indicted or get in trouble, he barely knows them and he doesn't really associate with them all that much. Interestingly, though, with like Michael Flynn, for instance, he didn't know him from a hole in the wall when he forced him out because he said he lied to Mike Pence, Mr. Flynn, so he has no place in my administration, which was the politically correct move. And I addressed this a couple weeks ago. Then when the scandal, in quotes, came out, few months ago about how Flynn had possibly been backed into a corner, which I explained to you a few weeks ago was a mischaracterization of what occurred with Mr. Flynn. All of the sudden, Mr. Flynn is a great American and he is a great guy. Cut me a break. Trump will change with the wind if the wind is going towards the rural Republican xenophobic base that he so covets in the coming election. He will go whatever way the wind takes him. So right now, he doesn't know anything about Bannon. But the truth is, Bannon was a key driver, and it's very well documented. It's very well documented that Steve Bannon was a huge driver of Trump's agenda. Steve Bannon was a huge driver of Trump's campaign victory. And Steve Bannon was a primary figure in Trump's campaign and Trump's administration. So for the Trump to try to distance himself is laughable. Regardless, let's discuss the rank and file people. The people that Bannon ripped off were people who I don't necessarily feel all that sorry for, you know, from an abstract standpoint. These are people who were more than willing to donate their hard-earned money to build a damn wall to keep people out of the country as if it was some righteous crusade, and they got ripped off. Where have I seen that before? Perhaps I've seen that with literally every nonsensical bill of goods that Trump has tried to sell these people. Every hollow dream and every hollow promise to tackle the enemy and finally liberate these rank-and-file conservative Americans from the chains that have been thrust upon them by the liberal elite. This has always been 
a bill of goods. This has always been snake oil. This has always been a mischaracterization. This has always been nothing other than propaganda and misinformation to obtain a certain constituency in the electorate to keep these people elected. All Steve Bannon did when he defrauded these people who were more than willing to pay out of their own pocket for a border wall because they're xenophobes, all he did was exploit a tried and true thing that people like Donald Trump have been exploiting for decades. For decades. They lie they cast the other as the enemy, and they do so with the intent to get support and to advance their own agenda, which most of the time does not even align with the rank-and-file people that they claim to represent, with the grievances of those people that they claim to want to be the standard-bearers to bring to the forefront. Steve Bannon is just another in a long line of people just like Donald Trump who do nothing but rip off the little guy and rip off those too ignorant, those too misinformed, those too un... (laughs) I won't go there, but those incapable of reasoning enough to protect themselves and their own interests from being ripped off and lied to. And yet... These people will continue to spread these messages and will continue to try as hard as they can to claw and scratch to keep some veil of legitimacy around Trump with their absurd conspiracy theories about children being... Now, look, it's not to say that children aren't trafficked. That's a known fact. They are trafficked. It's It's a travesty. It's a tragedy. And we need to do more about it. But they're not bringing up children being trafficked as a legitimate concern independent of the political process. They're bringing up children being trafficked precisely to back up their own agenda, which is supporting Donald Trump. And it's absurd because there's no nexus between Trump and trafficked children other than the fake, nonsensical crap going around message boards involving QAnon. But I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed... Over the past several weeks, as the election has approached and as Trump's position has become every bit more precarious, as Trump's status as an incumbent trying to be reelected has become ever more fragile, I've seen several people who hadn't even been the most vocal advocates of Mr. Trump start coming out of the woodwork and start to really dig their heels in and really try to proliferate the messages that, you know, kind of push people back towards Donald Trump, that try to obscure our basic intellectual perceptions of what's going on with our country, who are attempting to apply false equivalencies between individuals like Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And it's become more and more evident as these people come out and try to push their agendas. And I find it interesting, given the Bannon news, it's just there is no equivalency here. There is no equivalency. Seven members of Trump's inner circle have been indicted on crimes. Seven. Seven. Okay. And Rick points out the absurdity of the QAnon theory, too. They're claiming that they're eating the children. It's that ridiculous. And rank-and-file people on my Facebook timeline are out here saying, 
How dare you look at Bannon or how dare you look at Trump when there's children being trafficked? This is a, an obvious sidestepping of the issue at hand, an obvious whataboutism. And it's obviously derived from QAnon. Now, I don't know if every one of these people understands the absurdity of the underlying conspiracy that they support. I don't know if that's, you know, something they're aware that they're regurgitating, but they're regurgitating that. And it's just, it's, it's crazy, but, but it's constant. It's constant, and it's just nothing but the snake oil regurgitated by these people. The same nonsense that's been peddled by Bannon. And let's be real, Bannon was a member of Breitbart News, and Breitbart is a key culprit. A key culprit of spreading misinformation. Breitbart is one of the primary proliferators of fake news. One of the primary proliferators of fake news. This is where Biden, I mean, Bannon, sorry... And Biden's on my mind because of the DNC speech, which I watched again a few times and I really was behind and I really liked it. So Biden's on my mind. So sorry, I'll bring that up in a little bit. But Bannon is just another in a long line of spreading nonsense. And these people will do anything to try to lay out a false equivalency. If you haven't heard of the Durham probe, this is a probe spearheaded by Attorney General Barr which seeks to in many ways undermine the initial Russia investigation of Donald Trump this seeks to undermine that now um, what they're doing is they're going looking back through all the records all the files the actual first investigation of Donald Trump the actual initial Russia probe they're going back through that and they're attempting to find anything they can that will undermine the investigation itself and essentially paint um, the initial FBI agents and the Mueller team and those people in a bad light when it comes to investigating Donald Trump and his Russia connections. Now, it should be noted that the Inspector General, Mr. Horowitz, already investigated the origins of the Russia probe and found that there was no widespread wrongdoing, there was no corrupt purpose to the Russia investigation, and that it was legitimate. Nonetheless, Barr has uh, hired this person, Durham, to go deep into the Russia investigation and essentially turn up any evidence of wrongdoing or of bias against Trump, anything of that nature. And recently there was a plea, an individual who was a prosecutor had mischaracterized an email. He had inquired of the CIA whether or not uh, Carter Page, who they were seeking to surveil, whether or not Carter Page had um, been an informant for the CIA. And the email that the CIA relayed to this person was, you know, they don't speak in that language. The CIA itself won't say a source. Um, so they won't say he was a source or he wasn't a source. They'll give him some kind of graph. Um, and then he essentially read the graph, forwarded the graph to a superior and said, it's my understanding that Mr. Page is not and has never been an informant. Now, by doing that, he was paraphrasing what the email had actually entailed. And that was improper. You have to just forward the email as it is. You shouldn't infer your own 
language into it, and essentially it, it was an edit of the email he had received. And that was part of the basis for one of the FISA warrants that were issued as to the surveillance of Mr. Page. And this is one of the things that these Trumpies on social media are making a huge deal about to try to apply some false equivalency as if this Durham probe is going to reveal that there's some corrupt intent and the Russia investigation was a farce, blah, 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 blah. Truth is, Carter Page was never charged with anything. They surveilled him. They didn't charge him. So there's no more widespread wrongdoing than that. Also, the individual who allegedly falsified the email, Horowitz, the former inspector general, already came out and said that that was, that was an isolated incident. There, that alteration of the email, and it was somewhat innocuous, that alteration of the email, although criminally, you know, liable for it, he is, and he pled guilty to it, it wasn't evidence of some wider probe or some wider bias in the overall probe. He's already ruled that. But this other prosecutor, Durham, is going through it thoroughly, and I wouldn't be surprised, guys, I wouldn't be surprised if sometime around October, sometime around when the election is nearing and it's even closer, I would not be surprised if some kind of, quote, bombshell drops regarding the Durham probe and these Trump advocates try to make it some kind of big story. I would be on the lookout. I would be on the lookout for things like that. I would call that out when you see it because there is no equivalency. While they are busy trying to expound upon a generally nothing story regarding the Durham probe, Steve Bannon, another one of Trump's most ardent supporters, has been indicted on fraud charges. Now, the Russia probe, we've already ex explored it. The fact is, Russia definitely intervened in our election and Russia definitely intervened in our election with the intent of promoting Trump and with the intent of getting Trump elected. That is not disputed. And I think one of the biggest travesties going on today in our country with these pro-Trump advocates is the idea that we are going to disregard all those things that Mueller pointed out the fact that he had solid evidence that Russian operatives were actively seeking to infiltrate our election and were actively seeking to infiltrate our democracy by way of sham Facebook accounts, by way of misinformation, by way of hacking emails and leaking them, which, by the way, another one of Trump's confidants, another one of Trump's closest advisors, Roger Stone, has basically been convicted, and, and the bombshells that came out of his trial were that he had a good relationship with WikiLeaks. He was a primary catalyst for the leaking of the documents between what Russia hacked from the DNC and what WikiLeaks came out with that certainly had an impact on the election. And that leads to questions of since Stone was so close with Trump and he knew when the leaks were happening, of course the Trump campaign most likely knew about the leaks. It's sad to me that we are currently in this place where Bannon's indicted, where, where all these confidants are indicted, and these individuals are out here still attempting, still attempting to apply a false equivalency to what's gone on. They are still trying to act as, as if there's two candidates on equal footing in the upcoming election, 
as if Trump is still a viable candidate and as if Trump is still a viable person that they can vote for due to this false equivalency. You have another guy going down and he's fraudulent and they are being defrauded and trying to defraud you as we speak. Every time a Trump advocate comes out and tries to sell you some nonsense, he is being defrauded and simultaneously attempting to defraud you. And it's a joke at this point. I, I honestly, when I open it up for calls in a little bit, I challenge and I request some Trump supporter or somebody who wants to stand in for one and be a devil's advocate to call me up and tell me why, why legitimately we should be supporting Trump. Now, forget partisan politics, right? Forget whether you're a Democrat, forget whether you're a Republican, forget your stance on the on, on specific issues. The fact is, when this individual is leading a nation, while his closest confidants and friends are being indicted for fraud and for crimes against the people of this country, while we stand in one of the worst economic downturns in American history, and one of the worst epidemics to ever hit American soil, under the watch of this president and as a direct result of his failures to be a proper leader and administrator of our government how can you sit there and still advocate for him and still pretend that there's some false equivalency or some reason that he's a viable candidate I don't understand it and the reason I brought up Bannon was because it goes directly to this point all week I've been dealing with people who want to advocate for Trump and who have been pointing to the most absurd theories and stories and misinformation to do so. They've been pointing out child sex trafficking that's unfounded or child sex trafficking charges that are four and five years old from unrelated people as if we're faced with some serious existential crisis and some serious decision between the man fighting child trafficking and the other man. I mean, there's not even... <laughs> it would be one thing if Trump even had a policy that was some robust policy or some initiative to fight child trafficking, and that was some pet issue that these people had. But that's not even true. There's nothing about Trump other than fake, falsified, and misleading conspiracy theories that has anything to do with child trafficking. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So it's completely a fabrication. It's completely without foundation that Trump's even doing anything about child trafficking. Yet they're out here telling all of us that we have this equivalent choice and that Trump is a viable candidate. As I said, I challenge anybody to call up when I open it up for calls. Tell me why he's a viable choice for President of the United States to, to continue to be. What I don't understand and what people seem to have trouble understanding is, you know, you can blame COVID on anything you'd like, right? You could blame COVID on a foreign entity, you could blame it on China's lack of reporting, you can blame it on anything. But the fact is, even no matter what the cause is, we had a leader in place 
And that leader who was in charge of thwarting those types of threats has epically failed at doing so. Is it, isn't it common sense at this point? This person has had indictment after indictment of his friends. He's failed the biggest challenge he ever had. When he got elected, the main thing that people who were against him essentially said was he's incompetent. He's not up for the job. I'm scared of what's going to happen if we're ever faced with a true challenge. What will he do if we're faced with a true challenge? And he's now shown us what would happen if he was faced with a true challenge. He would fail. He would epically fail. And that's what he's done. So I just don't understand with yet another friend going down, with yet another scar on his resume, despite the world falling down around him and around all of us as we essentially look around, on top of all that, there's still people out here advocating for him. And, and what I've found, I hate to say it, I hate to say it because you know I'm a balanced person, this is a centrist podcast, I want to, you know, speak for all the different sides, I want to understand, I want to relate I just feel like if you still think that this is the right choice, one of two things is happening. Either A, you are intellectually deficient and therefore extremely gullible and extremely susceptible to bad information and nonsense and you truly buy this shit. Or B, you just like him because you don't care about actual policy or actually how the country's run. You don't care about the actual job of being president. You simply just like how he tells everybody to screw off and you think he's funny and he relates to you in some way. Because there's just no other reason to support the individual who has seven of his closest confidants now indicted for fraud who are defrauding all of you and anybody who supports him from the beginning. This whole bit about nationalism and America first has been a sham and has been a fraudulent premise and fraudulent message from the very beginning. Period. Period. And it's, it's, it's not even a... You know what, what bothers me the most about it is... Ten years ago, even before that, even before that, any time, every, and I, and I guess that's true too. No one wants to accept that the president of the United States is that corrupt and that stupid. There is this, this bias that originates in our heads, I guess, that, and I, I went into this a couple weeks ago too, that there's this false belief because it gives people a sense of security in the chaotic existence that we actually reside in, right? There is this true chaotic universe that we reside in, right? This chaotic world where anything could go wrong at any time. There's nobody there necessarily to protect us. There's no semblance of actual leadership sometimes, and the world is chaotic, and at any time it could all fall apart. That's not a very good narrative for most people's psyches, understandably. Understandably. So people construct these fabricated realities that there's some hierarchy and that despite the evidence that we look at, that there is some semblance of a higher governing power, a higher group of people who will protect us from the chaos. 
And I think it's true in the sense that even with Trump, people especially who voted for him don't want to accept reality and they want to think that rather than being some individual as Trump is, in my estimation, rather than being some individual who listens to the same nonsensical news source, and and let's step back a second, right? Because this is an important point. Many of the people who support Donald Trump do so not because of any grand policy or any pet policy or any other resume that he may put forth. Most of the people, and this will be evident in any of your conversations with them, most of the people who support Donald Trump support him because he says things and he puts forth a belief system that is the same as their own, right? When he says certain things, they agree with it. And they say, that's what I've been waiting for somebody to say for years. Because these are people who are not informed. These are people who do not understand science. These are people who do not understand basic logic. These are people who don't understand a lot of things. So when Trump speaks and when Trump says things that resonate in their own minds because they've long been thinking it, they think, wow. Finally, some individual, not only in higher office, but even before he was in office, some individual that I know of, who is a big name, who is a rich person, who is a member of the elite, one of them thinks like I do. That must be the smartest person they have to run the country. That must be the smartest because he thinks like I do and I would be capable of running the country. Now, these people are delusional because they're unaware It's a paradoxical type thing. They're unaware of their own lack of wisdom. They're unaware of their own intellectual deficiencies. So they think that this person, because he shares their beliefs, might be the smartest person out there. But in reality, the truth is, Trump is simply one of them in the sense that he is also just a run-of-the-mill, uninformed American who is a consumer of bad news sources, a consumer of false and unjustified and unfounded narratives, who is a consumer of silly conspiracy theories himself. So they think what he thinks resonates with them because he's so informed, when in reality, they're just part of the same ignorant base of Americans that are out here right now and apparently are more prevalent in numbers than many of us ever wanted to believe. And rather than acknowledge that perhaps they themselves and perhaps individuals like them, like Donald Trump, are incapable of running the country properly, rather than admit that, they'd like to construct some illusion around them that states that because he's rich, because he's elite, because he's the president, he can't be that incompetent. He can't be that bad at his job. There's got to be some other reason, and it's got to be the deep state or this child trafficking conspiracy, or it's got to be China creating the virus. But the sad news for these people, the existential dread that I need to put upon them is that, no, he is that incompetent. This country is declining. This country is drowning in a pool, in a swamp, if you will. This country is drowning in a swamp of ignorance, a swamp of ignorance upon ignorant people who have fraudulently 
benefited from the ignorance and misinformation of the populace. And they will continue to do so unless we get our heads out of our collective asses and put a stop to it. The false equivalency between Biden and Trump is absurd. I even saw the new narrative was because we, we got word that China may now be trying to interfere in our election. And of course, why wouldn't China want to interfere in our election? Russia proved you could do it. They want to be a world power. Why wouldn't they try to infiltrate our election in the same ways? It's a good way to knock a world power who's already maybe declining further off its feet. But now I've seen Trump people seize on that opportunity to say there's a false equivalency. Well, China wants Biden, Russia wants Trump. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's the same, right? You either go with China or you go with Russia. So Trump's not really backed by Russia. You don't have to really worry about the foreign interference angle. It's one or the other. That's another false equivalency. It's bullshit. On the one hand, you have a guy, whether you love him or not, is a, is a career leader, a career government official, somebody who understands the complexities of our global economy, of our global relationships with our allies and our enemies, somebody who understands our international interests, somebody who understands domestic policy. Not only was this person a senator, but he was the vice president for eight years. You have somebody who is a decent person by all accounts, despite his proclivity for sniffing hair. That's the most they could dig up on him as he sniffs hair once in a while. You have a guy like that, and on the other side, you have somebody who has failed us in one of the worst ways we've seen in any of our lifetimes. And it's, it's absurd. There is no equivalency here. There's absolutely none, and I just don't understand, and I challenge anybody who's a thinking person to be able to argue legitimately as to why Trump should get another four years. Again, I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter. You want somebody in that position who can deal with things like we're dealing with now and not fail epically as Trump has. There is no equivalency. And even when they had the DNC, the convention this week, several Republicans spoke because several prominent Republicans are now backing Biden or at least not publicly backing Trump because they know, as intelligent people, as concerned Americans, they know that this guy is completely ill-equipped to be the president, period. And anybody out there still advocating for him by way of any kind of ridiculous theory or anything is simply being willfully ignorant or perhaps are just ignorant from jump. There's really not any other explanation for it. None. And what I was getting at overall in everything I'm saying about Trump and everything I'm saying about people applying a false equivalency is simply this. The fact is, we've come to accept under Trump in a very short time, where scandals like seven of your closest confidants being indicted 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would be grounds for resignation. Grounds for the majority of Americans and Republicans and Democrats to impeach somebody and to censure them or to remove them from office has been completely normalized in our third decade of the 21st century, completely normalized. Another person going down around Trump is just par for the course. An impeachment inquiry is par for the course. It's just a partisan thing, apparently. 
and the Republicans have to defend him, and the Democrats are going to go after him, and there's no national consensus at all amongst the people of this country that, hey, maybe this is wrong. Maybe this isn't what a president's supposed to do. Maybe we should look at this guy a little more suspiciously. Maybe we should keep an eye on him. Maybe we should change directions. This has become par for the course, and I don't just blame Trump for that. I blame this cynicism, this growing cynicism that has occurred by way of all these mediums, whether it's the news that sowed the, un the unrest, whether it's the news and social media providing us with two different narratives. So whatever we want to think, we can find a news source that supports that. Or whatever we're against, we can find a news source that thwarts that theory. And also the cynicism that you know everybody's corrupt everything's corrupt we have no way forward and so it's always the lesser of two evils so even though trump's doing all this i'm sure so many other people have done it it's just a sad 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 state of affairs and steve bannon is but the latest in a long litany of evidence that donald trump has led a corrupt and a less than noble to say the least, and a fraudulent campaign against the American people for his own personal gain. Steve Bannon is a perfect standard-bearing microcosm of Trump's entire presidency and Trump's entire career. His seeking to brand himself with the American working class as some kind of advocate or some kind of relatable person, when in reality, he's been defrauding the American working class especially the American working man for decades, from his self-help courses to his crappy stakes to his defunct airline, everything he's done has been a defrauding of the American working man from his Atlantic City fiasco where he declared bankruptcy and put several working men in the Atlantic City area out of business. This is his MO. And it's time we move past it. And with that in mind, Let's reference and talk about the Democratic National Convention. Now, I myself, I'm not the... I'm not somebody who's going to watch the entire convention all the way through. I'm just not. I understand party pageantry. I understand, you know, the celebration of it all. But, you know, some of these, these conventions, they just put a lot of figures up there to speak... Many of them get the nod because they, you know, are prominent figures in an older Democratic Party like Bill Clinton, for instance. And not everybody agrees with everything they say. And so I don't watch the entire thing, but I did watch uh, certain really significant portions of it. Uh, one of those things was the, um, obviously, Joe Biden's speech, Kamala Harris's speech, uh, President Obama, uh, a few others. The fact is, <laughs> anybody else think it's kind of weird when they do these conventions, not only the conventions, but literally any public thing, even SNL before they went off the air for this season, without the crowd, does anybody think it just it just changes the dynamic and it just you can't even really get a read or feel any kind of energy and it's a shame, right? When Kamala Harris spoke or when Biden spoke or even Obama, it, they were good speeches and I think they resonated well, but. The issue was, you know, there's no crowd, so you can't get a cheer line, you can't get an applause line, you can't get boos, 
You can't do any of that. It's kind of just dead air. And even when, you know, Biden makes a, a statement that you think would be a great line, or when Kamala said, I know a predator when I see one after touting her prosecutorial career, you know, you'd expect like a laugh or a, or a, or a clap or a, some kind of outburst from the audience, but you get nothing. And I'm looking for these people. If you watch, there's these people in the, in the audience. They, I think they're media people. They're all socially distanced, spread out, and they have their cameras or their notepads or whatever they have. And they're all there. And I, I half expect one of them to at least, I don't know, clap or, or make or laugh. Or They're humans, aren't they? It's like they're not humans. They're in the gallery. They can do something. But it was, it was just interesting to see a convention. I've never seen in my lifetime a convention or any kind of political speech or political rally where you're really... You don't hear any applause, you don't hear any crowd reaction whatsoever, and there's really just no energy in the room. That was kind of uncanny, you know, when, when seeing that. Kind of eerie, honestly. All that aside, though, I mean, look. Look. I thought the speeches were good. I thought the message was good. Because I think what they did was they brought, and a lot of people were complaining on the left, right? A lot of people were complaining that I saw, like, you know, why bring Kasich in here? Why bring anybody who's an identified Republican in here? You know, why cater to that kind of moderate side? But but look, I think their message was what they wanted it to be, which was what I just said about the whole Bannon thing, meaning this isn't even an election where we're really deciding between, you know, Republican legislative agendas and Democratic legislative agendas and where voters' decision is going to rest upon some pet issue with a nuance, you know, between the two agendas that can go one way or the other. This is not about that. And I think Biden did a great job of branding, i.e., by saying this is a battle for the soul of America. And I'm not saying that because I'm some left-wing nut, because you guys know I'm not. I spend a lot of my time critiquing the left, but the fact is, this really is just an election for the soul of America. And it's not because Biden is some, you know, righteous angel crusader. We're not going to get melodramatic about it. He's a career politician who has done some good things, who has done some bad things, who has had some troubles, who has had some gaffes. But overall, as somebody that at least we can look to and say this is a respectable person, this is the kind of leader that we're used to having, this is somebody we can entrust our well-being to in times of crisis. And so it's not even about party platforms per se. It's more about this election is, look, are we going to forge forward and continue our mission for a more perfect union? And continue our mission for, you know, truly realizing the ideals we set forth centuries ago, but never truly acknowledged and never truly followed through on. And some will claim they were fraudulent from the beginning. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think every promise was disingenuous. I think that the mechanisms and tools are there to follow through on a lot of those things. This is what the battle's for. So I thought it was good how they really stuck to, you know, a, a, a massively appealing message. And it makes me wonder, and I was talking to my buddy today out having, having a drink. I, I was thinking, he said it, and it's true. What the hell are they going to talk about next week? What is the RNC's message going to be? What can they say? Because it's not a nuanced 
competition between competing ideologies. It's this cultural fight for the soul of America. What can they possibly say? You see some of the speakers they have lined up. They have the two people who were out there with the guns for the when the protesters were on their street. Those people are going to speak. You got the kid who was sitting there with the, you know, Native American guy in his face, which was a more complex issue when we see the whole thing, right? There were the black Hebrew Israelites that were there. There was the Native American guy who went up to him. He was a Vietnam vet, but he was never deployed, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of controversy, but that kid's going to speak. I mean, isn't it, isn't it indicative, right, of the overall point I'm making? Isn't it overall indicative of the point that I'm making? The My Pillow guy, that's another one I heard is going to speak. I mean, this is, and by the way, that my pillow guy, by the way, I see those commercials late at night all the time. The guy's got the big cross on his neck, and he's saying, "My pillow will get you the best sleep ever." I looked up reviews because I was borderline thinking about buying one of those things, and it was like a hundred dollars a pillow. And I looked that up, and the reviews were atrocious. They were like, "The pillow's not comfortable. It's lumpy. It's not even good. It's a hundred dollars for this thing." I saw some guy, you know, that really analyzes products. They cut the thing open, and they're like, all that was in the thing was, like, just stuffed foam stuff. It wasn't anything that was actually good. So this pillow guy, I mean, he's not even somebody to look to as, like, some kind of innovative entrepreneur other than the fact that he what? Defrauds people. He sells snake oil in the form of foam, weak-ass pillows. What is the general theme of this show? And I didn't even plan it, but this is what the theme of the show is becoming, these fraudulent guys. Now I actually understand the theme that's going to encompass the RNC next week. It makes more sense. Holy shit, it makes more sense. Interesting. I just figured it out. We just figured it out, folks. But long story short, I wonder what the message is going to be. Because on one side, it's just, hey, we got to just do things better. We have the soul of the nation at risk. And on the other side, it's, you know... This cultural nonsense that is not, it's losing any semblance of it even resonating anymore, right? Because there used to be a time where you could say, well, we're for law and order, we're for, you know, curbing violence in the streets, we're not for, you know, the free spirited hippies, this and that. You can't even say that anymore because the majority of Americans understand to some extent and empathize to some extent, you know, with the people protesting. They empathize to some extent with the people crying and decrying about, you know, injustice. So you can't even really go that route anymore from a, a legislative or a policy standpoint. It's pretty much just straight up. These are the people that you saw on the news over the last year that were against the things they're saying over there, and they're just going to tell you that, hey, screw the left. I mean, I don't know if it's going to work very well, but that's that's where they are. That's where they're at. There's nothing there's nowhere else to go with this candidate. There's no vision. There's no promise. There's nothing except elect this guy because we don't like them. There's no actual policy. There's no actual hope. There's no actual reason. Just a, we like this guy. We've always liked them. We'll defend him to the death. Screw those people. That's what it's got to be. And it's sad, but that's what it's got to be. Now, aside from that, talking about the DNC, though, look, I thought when, when President Obama spoke, I mean, at the end of the day, when he spoke, it's just, isn't it amazing to hear a person like that speak again? Where, you know, he speaks and he resonates and he's articulate and the things he's saying 
are so broadly encompassing. He touched on everything, you know, from the injustices that Irish and Italians had when they got here, and it's such a such a close to home thing for a lot of people in my area and things. The way he touched on immigrants and he touched on workers and unions and, you know, people on the front lines of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter activists and just every facet. Yes, I understand that it's a politically motivated, you know, tactical thing and that he's very good politically. But at the same time, when he speaks, when you see him, he's just so relatable. You feel like he actually gives a shit. You feel like he actually hears you. You feel like he's actually going to do something about the problems that he's discussing. And to, for him, when he got up there in front of the Constitution, I absolutely loved it. And I just thought it resonated really well. And I, I thought the way he pointed out, you know, Joe Biden's record was great because he said, look, we know Joe Biden. I'll tell you about Joe Biden and how much of a crusader he was being my vice president for eight years how well he did his job as my vice president and it's just it was just refreshing to hear and i think it's a resounding endorsement people want to underplay president obama because he's not in the limelight per se because he's a former president but the truth is i think a lot of americans still really have a affinity for him because why wouldn't they he was a good president people liked him and he's very relatable and I think him coming out and saying, look, I understand that people have, you know, legislative histories we're going to dissect. I understand that Joe is this or that. But look, let me, somebody you trust, somebody who you know is intelligent, somebody you know who, you know, was a, a leader you could trust. Let me tell you about Joe Biden. Let me tell you about him. I thought it resonated well. And then Kamala Harris, I thought she resonated well, right? She did a good job of highlighting her prosecutorial career and highlighting the fact that she took on wrongdoers while also tying that into the fact that she took on big banks that were corrupt. She took on people committing fraud. And again, this theme is emerging again tonight. But she knew a predator when she saw one. She knew how to take down wrongdoers in an organizational or an individual capacity. And she also understood and referenced police reform and things of that nature. But she towed a, a very good line to say, look, I may not be the binary, the binary candidate you're looking for. And I say binary in, in terms of you know, political ideology, right? I may not be all the way on this side where I'm against, you know, not, I don't want to say against law enforcement, but I'm not really rocking with law enforcement, this and that. Or I'm not on this other side where I'm so pro-law enforcement that I'm blinded and I don't believe in any reforms. She told the line of, look, I am the person who can attack all the things that you want to attack, whether it's the 1%, whether it's injustices in policing, whether it's injustices in the banking industry, whether it's injustices in fraudulent practices of the business community. But I will do it in a way and from the inside that I've always been trained to do as a person for the people who was a public advocate and a public worker for so many years. And I think if you guys are looking for the future and you think a slogan might be, you know, thought about by Ms. Harris if she's ever going to run for the higher office than this, we already know, I think, that the slogan has been coined and it's going to be Kamala Harris for the people. 
and I it has a hell of a ring to it. It really, really does. I think as she continues to go about her career, and hopefully as vice president, but as she campaigns, she will get even better at delivering the speeches so that they flow naturally and she really reads the crowd. But again, it's difficult to hone that skill and it's definite, difficult to get a read on it when there is no crowd. So it was interesting. Now, Joe Biden, right? I mean, his speech. Let's talk about his speech. Honestly, his speech... You know, it started off with his, look, I don't, it started off kind of monotone and just Joe speaking, Joe things. And honestly, there was a point in that speech. And if you hadn't seen it, haven't seen it, you should really go watch it. There was a point in his speech where he really, you really felt, you really felt the energy turn. And you really felt Biden kind of step into his own, right? And he wasn't reading a scripted thing anymore, even though technically he was. He was no longer on script emotionally, and he was no longer just trying to maintain this calmness and this steadiness and trying his best to get the words out clearly. You saw this part halfway through his speech where he just became himself, the advocate the speaker, the emotional man that we really wanted to see. And he really, really does truly believe, it seems from that speech, he really does truly believe that this is the battle for the soul of America and that he is on the right side. And he used the analogies of dark and light. You know, only light can drive out the dark. I mean, this notion that we are in a... And look, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal, a progressive, a moderate, as I said earlier, it's not about the policy right now. It's the fact that we are in this dark age. And I mean, look, it's it's so odd how human beings can adapt and change as their environment, as the reality around them changes. It's so interesting how human beings can change and how quickly we normalize things that up to that point had been considered abnormal. And when I say that, I mean we have been normalized to wearing masks to stores, to being isolated in large part from our friends and family, although that's dissipated to an extent We have been in that place, and it's been so normalized now for almost an entire calendar year. 2020 is is rapidly approaching the fall, which is the final quarter of the year. And it's flown by, but while it's flown by, it it has changed our everyday reality in ways we have never anticipated and would never have anticipated. And it is a dark age. It's hard to even conceptualize or be cognizant of this darkness around us. But the truth is, between the pandemic, between the ignorance, the proliferation of false information, the fact it's hard to even talk on an even playing field to our neighbors and our friends and our family, 
with an objective, common-sense truth between the two of us, without some side trying to bring up some fabricated argument to counter us, it is evident in all of these things that we are currently in a dark period in America. When I spent two months isolated from everyone in an apartment looking out at a dark city, it really drove it home. And the sunshine and the humidity and the pool and seeing people has somewhat drove that out, driven that out, has somewhat caused it to dissipate. The fact is that we still are living in somewhat of a dark period. And the message that Biden was sending, whether you like him or not on a personal level, was that we need to drive out the dark. And no matter what you thought of Donald Trump before he was a president, the fact is somebody who, who thrives in deception, corruption, misinformation, incompetence, ignorance, who regurgitates false information, is a primary catalyst and one of the primary drivers of this dark age that we find ourselves in. And I, I truly, if you go back and listen to the Biden speech... I truly, truly think that you'll see that point where he kind of, his emotion and, and his, his mood, his energy changes from simply being on script to sim really believing in what he's saying. And I thought that was powerful. And, and quite frankly, not to beat a dead horse, I thought it would have been even more powerful had it been in front of a, a crowd, had it been in front of an audience. And this is going to be an interesting, interesting election because the we're used to rallies, we're used to speeches, we're used to people in the street advocating, knocking on doors, getting out the vote campaigns. This is not going to be that way at all, and it's almost another dark period. And what's scary about the fact that this election is going to be primarily based on mail-in ballots and on virtual campaigning and things like that is that we are playing into the wrong hands with that. That's almost a perfect recipe, right? Some may say, well, COVID is a political, you know, politically driven thing that the media is pushing to hurt Trump. But the reality is that if you really look at what COVID's done, it's, it's shifted the playing field to a digital mail-in type playing field and that's actually scary and actually plays better into trump as far as i can tell because that allows for misinformation to be proliferated via social media that allows for us to get most of our news from the echo chambers we're used to and then the mail things i was recently sent an article from vanity fair regarding the the mail the u.s postal service issues and and it's you can't make it up you should look it up and look into it if you have the time the fact is these you know when 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 DeJoy came in and he was reforming quote unquote the postal service one of the primary things he did was start cutting overtime taking mail sorting machines out of places uh discontinuing the practice of sorting important mail in the morning and sorting other mail in the afternoon. And he was primarily doing this in urban areas that needed it the most. Now, whether it was politically driven or not, I'll leave up to you. But the fact is that more urban districts 
have a tendency to vote Democrat. One of the primary reasons that Donald Trump won in 2016 was because of the urban vote. Not because the urban vote supported him, but because the urban vote was suppressed in places like Michigan and probably places like Florida. And so it's troubling that the reforms in the U.S. Postal Service have such a an unequal effect on the com- communities of color and urban communities that are most likely to give Trump a hard time come November. So the playing field shifting with COVID is another issue. And I think it it, it you should be cognizant of it, you should keep it in mind because it's going to be I think it's going to play a, a key role in the outcome of this election. I, I truly, truly do. So it's something to keep an eye on. It's just interesting. The, the entire we, we will never hopefully see an election like this again in our lifetimes. And we certainly have not seen an election like this in the past because of the pandemic. It's just a, an, a, an odd time. But overall, I thought the DNC went went well. I thought Biden spoke well. I thought the speeches were good. It was just it didn't have the energy you would anticipate. Now, a lot of the pollsters are saying that, you know, there's not going to be the traditional convention bounce this year. Really, for that reason, you don't have the energy surrounding it. And I think it's such a polarized electorate this time around that, you know, people have their minds made up in large part. And so a, a, a bounce is unlikely. I did tell you the election's going to tighten up. I still think it is. It is tightening up, you know, a little bit each day. But it's it's decidedly, at this juncture anyway, decidedly a, a, a pro-Biden slant. And we'll see if that can continue or not. That's where it is now. That doesn't mean that's where it's going to be in, in come election day. That's where it is now. So it's just interesting. You know, speaking of crowds and things, I, I do find it interesting. I don't know if anybody's following the college football stuff. But there are now parents and fans of Big Ten teams like Ohio State protesting, (laughs) protesting the fact that there's no college football. I found that interesting because, again, with the melodrama and where people's priorities are, you know, some people say it's not okay to protest, you know, police brutality or anything, but they're out there protesting football. They have a right to do it. They have a right to protest college football not being played. But it's just so interesting that, you know, these are the things that, that, that drive people's priorities. These are the things that turn people out onto the street. It's just a, it's a, it's a weird time in America. It, it, we care so much about these simple things, these entertainment things, and we care so little about these things that matter. It's just interesting. It's just interesting. And by the way, people are still in the streets, not just for college football, but for other reasons. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago has been in the news because she's saying that She's defending her decision to have cops outside of her block and not really letting protesters participate in walking up to her house, which I think is interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, right, we are allowed to um, petition our leaders for redress of grievances. That's a primary objective of the First Amendment. And in this weird time, we're protesting in the streets for some things, but the conventions are, you know... Um, distanced and virtual but it was interesting because she said she doesn't want them going to her house now a new thing we've seen with these protests is we've seen these protesters show up to actual politicians and stakeholders homes 
to lay forth their grievance there. I wonder what people's opinions are, and I ask you your opinions on it. You know, what are your opinions on the the issues with protesting at people's homes, right? I mean, is it is that the foundational principle of American, you know, First Amendment rights and, and politics? Should we be at their households? Because that's part of what we've come to expect. If you choose to be a leader, if you choose to be in the public eye, then you've accepted the responsibility and you've, you've kind of know and can anticipate that people may show up to your front door? Or should you be allowed in your capacity as a private citizen to go home at night and, and lay in peace, but when you're at your place of business, i.e. the public buildings that belong to the public, the governmental structures where people could expect and where you could expect to interact with the public, should they be the primary focal point? I just think it's an interesting question to delve into because in a time where petitioning the government for redress is so prevalent, be it from college football or be it from police brutality or be it for any other reason, I just wonder what people's stances are on that issue. You know, should, should going to somebody's home and they got neighbors there too and they have considerations, should that be... A, a, a thing that's allowed or accepted, or should we not? Should we stick to governmental buildings? I just think that's another topic. Um, I am going to open it up for calls now. I mean, this was a, a slower news week. I mean, look, the DNC convention was out there. The Bannon thing happened. Um, but other than that, I mean, there was nothing that drew my, my passion, per se. And I always... The funny thing is, you know... I always go back and listen to these things later and before I release them on Spotify. And I remind you that these podcasts are always available on Spotify and they're going to be continue to be available on even more mediums, Apple Music, things of that nature. But I listen back and I always think when I have a lackluster, you know, showing that when I listen back, it wasn't quite as lackluster as I said. Um, but tonight, you got to be, you know, we got to be honest. We didn't delve as deep into some of these nuanced topics as I usually do. And it's just the result of the week and the way it's been. Um, but then again, I hope that some of you just tune in because of the, the smooth music and the smooth voice. And just, you know, a voice of political reason and common sense reason, even if we don't delve so deeply into it and get contentious. So I thank you for joining me. I thank anybody who listened on Spotify and is listening now on a, on a re-release later. I mean, uh, just for staying with me on that uh, front. But um, the number is 973-536-2530. 973-536-2530. If somebody types that in the comments, that would help too, so then everybody else could see it. 973-536-2530. I want to hear your thoughts. It could be on this or it could be something different. Last week we had... You know, a call and it became a gender discussion, which I think is is something that's a good discussion to have. Current events are kind of the catalyst for this broader conversation that we continue to have um, regarding everything. We were looking at the world through a prism and a perspective, um, you know, and, and, and any topic that comes up is a continuous topic. Current events are kind of just the catalyst for the broad you know, narratives and the consistent dialogues that we're having. So, you know, that is a, you know, a catalyst. Um, and, and interesting point, right? Should we have a review board? And we have a call coming in, so let's, let's see who this is. You're live on the air. 
Rick. Hey, Rick, what's going on? Rick from Arizona. Colin, what's up, Rick? What's yeah, on your Rick. mind? Hang on, I gotta work on my smooth radio voice. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> now, I, I'm gonna play devil's advocate since obviously, I, I mean, you have a number of friends who comment on your Facebook post. Right. That never call in. I'm not sure if they're watching the podcast either, but right. they are Trump supporters or at least Trump uh, supporters of some sort. Right, and I think some of them, just so I think some of them listen here and there, and I think some of them, because of recent events of me kind of going at them, don't know for sure, but they were tuned in here and there, and now I haven't seen as many of them pop up in the comments, so I wonder if they're listening or not. But, yeah, they're out there. We know that. I'm going to play play the devil's advocate role, and I want to just disclaimer that. I fucking hate Trump. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I think, knows that. Right. But I'm going to play the side of the Trump supporter and why they might think the way they do. Okay, I think that's an interesting thing to do and I think it's helpful to the show. So so what what would you if you were a Trump supporter which you're not and we know that, what would you so say? Yes. He came in, he came into power and it was a mandate because, you know, he won so many more electoral votes than anybody in the the other votes don't matter, the popular vote, because that was all California and New York liberals, so we know how those people are. Right, right. So, so it was a mandate, and he's been clearing stuff out. And what he does is he's been playing this game. And all these people that have gone to jail, those aren't Trump friends. Those are people that he falsely sided with to root them out and to get them prosecuted other than the people that he's actually freed later which is bait to pull more of these democratic baby eaters in <laughs> now let me ask you a question and and I, and and this is you know partially in your capacity as a devil's advocate but partially in your capacity as Rick who we all know and love are okay. you saying that is 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 that truly a narrative that that some trump people are pushing that the individuals that essentially he hires people just so they are close enough to him to get caught just because he's trying to, you know, subversively punish them for something? Is that really something that people believe? That is absolutely something people believe. And it goes back even as far as Epstein, because when you bring up how many pictures he's in with Epstein and how many pictures he's in with Maxwell, right. people say, yeah, well, until he found out who he was, and then they... And then they broke up, so to speak. Wow. Yeah, they say that. They, they absolutely say that. Do you think that is but, the driver of their support, though, or just a post hoc you know, justification because they know he sucks and they just liked him for other reasons? Well, everything that is support of Trump is a justification because anybody with any sense, and you've said this a million times, and I'm off the devil's advocate thing because it's hard for me. I <laughs> know it is. I know it is. <laughs> He's a fucking moron. Yes. I mean, he is an idiot, and I typed a comment earlier about not only is he dumb, but he's had that insulation of money his whole life, so he doesn't have any sense of what is right. real. You know what I mean? Right. And that's what he His entire thing is, if, if you don't agree with everything I say, then you're out, and I will dump you fast and make fun of you and call you names and pretend I didn't know you. But right. the reality is, is he knew all these people, and even the Bannon thing, he was using... Trump's image, and it was Trump-approved, right? Right, and yes, it was. Money, he was. Yeah, I mean, Trump's picture was there. Trump was saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he said, yes, build the wall, because 
he's flailing and he hasn't built shit for the wall. Right. So, so obviously I've done a really piss poor job of being dealt with. No, but listen, I, I hear you. But the, so, I guess my 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 question is this. I mean. Do you speak to Trump supporters ever, like, kind of in your circle outside of mine, i.e., you know, we reference people who were on my Facebook? Are there, you know, other people that you encounter in your daily life who are Trump supporters? Oh, yeah. It's far worse. It's far worse. In fact, I lost uh, an actual real-life friend who was not only a real-life friend, but he was also the dude that I went to and did karaoke at all the time because he became a QAnon supporter. Right. And he he called me one night after multiple debates about his post and just, just screaming at me, just like, you don't need to fucking come across that way on my post. It's my post. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not bashing you, man. I'm bashing the information. So listen, that's it. I want to delve into that a little bit if you don't mind. So, cause just because I think it's interesting, it's interesting shit, man. Because I think we're all going through this in some capacity with people we know. You don't have to like give the details, but I mean, how long have you known this person? Probably five or six years. Okay, and and you you're like friendly with him, like legitimate friends with this person. Like in person, like, okay, because his name's Rick too, right? Uh, interesting. He's okay. There. He's from he's from New York. Mm-hmm. So when I walk into a bar mm-hmm. where he's hosting karaoke. He says, hey, it's West Coast Rick on his microphone, right? Like, gotcha, yes. He makes, that, that's how close we were, where we would, you know, have this rapport, and I would talk shit to him on the microphone when I was going to sing, and, and we were friends. Right, friends. Like, you know, so friends at a bar, like you see this guy in person at a bar in your area, and you know him. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but I mean, we talk about other stuff. We talk about family, and he's mm-hmm. got kids, and he was divorced not too long ago, and you know, so we talk about that because we both right. have had some similar experiences in life, and we were both in the army, so we talk about that. You know, I mean, we were we were friends. I mean, right. not like a, not not like close friends, like we hung out all the time, but right. but friendly enough where we could talk to each other and have conversations on and, Facebook even. And you're in the person. you're in the Phoenix area of Arizona, correct? Yeah. Just so people get the idea, because it's a big city atmosphere, so they know like where you're where you're. So, because, you know, in the city atmosphere, you have friends like that, right? Like, not everybody's somebody you go all the way back to grade school with, but you go out, you go to frequent spots that you hang out at, and you make friends there, and, you, and you're friendly with them in person, and they're, you talk to them about a wide range of issues. So this is an individual who you were friendly with from this bar, who you've talked to about other things. For five years, you've been personal friends in person with him. Okay, so now fast forward. What is he... So... When did his initial Trump proclivities come out? Was it in the 2016 election? Did it get worse? Was it always the same? No, it was. No, it was probably. I want to say 2018. Okay, so he it, he it started to come out, and and the little the little things, you know, it was just like little posts here and there, and I'd be like, hey man, that's not true. Here's what actually happened. Or, right. You know, or he would bring up the Steele dossier, right? Yes, and I'm yes. Like, that's not where it started. It started with Papadopoulos, and right. You know, it was just. It was, I was trying to put facts out there because, I mean, you know, uh, although you don't always agree with my stance on things, you know that I at least look into stuff before I just kind of spew nonsense. 100%. You don't really spew nonsense. You just, you'll look at, you'll always have some citation. I mean, we all, like, you know, I, I agree with that. And I think the role you probably play, because I think a lot of listeners, too, 
know you in the role you are in, in, and it's interesting because it's different social circles that overlap. In the social circle over here that you're involved in with me, it's one thing, but you have other social circles on social media, and I think you probably play a role similar to me where you just chime into give good information and to, to kind of contradict false information just to be an intellectually honest person in this yeah, public yeah, diet. Anytime that Trump's done something that, or people say Trump said this, I'm like, no, he didn't actually say that. There was never an interview in Time Magazine. Right, right. You know, yes. Of other stuff we can nail them on. We don't yes. Like to be these people. Makes sense. And, and even recently, there was the, oh, what was it? Just recently... They uh, were, oh, they're talking about going low. They're talking about having all the women that have accused Trump show up at the debates, right? Okay, and okay. I, and, I, and I was like, that's not right. Mm -hmm. you know, we can't become those people, right? Otherwise, we're just, it, it's the Nietzsche thing, right? We yes. Be careful when fighting monsters so you don't become one. Yes, and, yes. And, and that's, somebody said, well, you know, when you go to clean out your uh, sewer, you're going to get dirty. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't go clean your sewer with shit. Yes, that's a great way to say that's a That's a great comeback to that argument because I agree with that 100%. And, that, and that's the thing is that I try to, uh, I, I mean, you know, it's sort of a Socratic method in the sense that I try to just push buttons and get people to respond and, and work through it. Right. Yes, and that's what you. I know that all too well. Yes, your Socratic method is yeah, good, yeah, but yeah, you do it like, well, well, this would be the, you. You often end Rick with like a that would be that right or wouldn't it? No, I know. Yes, very good. I'm, I've noticed yeah. it. Yes. And that's just that's a that's a symptom of my age and education more than anything. It's not really. I'm right. not trying to be an asshole. I just right. I am naturally an asshole. Right. I, mean, I like. <laughs> I like it though. I do. So. So rewind back to this. So, okay. So, so he's somebody who now do you think, cause I've seen this a little bit too, especially as of recent, right? There's been these rabble rousing type Trump supporters that you've seen on my page and, and kind of on social media for a long time. And these people, they've almost got quieter as the election has approached. Cause I think they almost kind of know that they're in a weaker position, but these other people who really haven't been vocal have been coming out harder. My question is, do you think this person maybe was a Trump supporter but just kept his mouth shut and just couldn't take the criticism anymore in 2018, so he had to start speaking out? Or, like, what do you think motivated him to start speaking out in 2018? I, I absolutely think that he was always a Trump supporter. Right. I think, and, and, and along the lines of devil's advocate again, I think people, American people of a certain mental capacity, mm -hmm. think that you should just show respect to the president no matter what. Right. And I used to believe that. I used to believe that. Right. I mean... 1976, man, I'm 11 years old. My, the highlight of my existence was, you know, it's the bicentennial. They had this thing called the Freedom Train traveling across the country. It had, you know, the uh, original Declaration of Independence on it. There's a lot of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as an 11-year-old, I was fucking stoked. I mean, I was just like, this is it. I get to see America, right? I, I know all the old songs, the old Shenandoah, and all of these, uh, Erie Canal, I mean, all yeah. those things uh, about building America and, and how America is this awesome thing. And that ultimately that led to my bitter disillusionment as a, as a young man. So, so wait, wait, I want to hear that. Hold on. The okay. train, what was it called? The Freedom Train. And that was what, like a, an actual train that was going across America? Or that it was, was an actual train. 
Yeah. It's an actual train, and it was carrying, you know, icon icons from the bison or for the bicentennial. But oh, you know, icons! Right, right. And that was you got to go see it in person, or it was on TV, or what? Yes, I got to go see it in person. Wow. Okay. And that was there was some semblance then of this unified America that you know party was one thing, but when it came to you know just kind of revering America in its entirety, there was some unification when this train came around and stuff. And it was a in my eleven year old brain, right? There was no there was no party, and certainly no party division. Right. right. Uh, Nixon, it, it didn't matter. Right. That he was a Republican. Right. All. I mean, I don't. I think anybody from that era will tell you the same thing. What mattered was that a president tried to cheat. Right. That's what I was getting at him in the monologue, which I know you didn't call for that reason, but but circling back, that's what I was getting in the monologue, which was that there was a unified response to anybody trying to cheat. It didn't matter party. We've lost that. Yeah. Right. Right. And even the Republicans went after Nixon. They're like, this is wrong. And w- when I when I put that in context of today, like, ultimately what Nixon was doing was had some people try to break into the DNC headquarters to get some information to help him in his campaign. Right. Is, is it wrong? <laughs> Hell yeah. Right. Did it jeopardize America mm-hmm. in any way to, especially the foreign enemies? Not at all. Right. And Nixon, as a Republican went... I'm going to step in. Right. Right. And that is a great point because it's kind of what I was getting at. That was enough to have a president resign back then, simply breaking into your rival's headquarters. Whereas today, I feel like if that came out, people would ho-hum it like it was absolutely of no of no relevance, of no consequence. Well, you, know, you, you know, you have you read the thing about the Russians are the ones that broke open the uh, – there was some – something about the DNC had hacked the RNC and got their list of uh, supporters or whatever. Yes, I think I had, yes. Yes. So the the idea is that the Russians opened that up. The Democrat guy who was in charge or there that day or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. saw that and went, oh shit, look at this information and then was immediately like, no, we can't do that. But the Republicans make a big deal about it, and that is the modern equivalent of breaking into the offices right. of the opposing team. Right. right. I mean, that's it. Yes. That's a, that's a fact. But but we've come so far from that that this guy, this guy can go. Uh, Putin says he didn't do it, and I have no reason to doubt him. Despite right. the Republican investigation going, the Russians definitely did this. Right, and right. For, for me, when I go back, and yeah, I was a kid when, you know, Nixon was president. I mean, I was a little kid when Nixon was president. But I watched, you know, uh, Carter. I watched Reagan, uh, even as a kid. And, and that's when I got involved in politics was right after Reagan. I mean, as soon as I was old enough to vote. And, but the idea that this, what's happening now is, is not considered corruption. The fact that Trump says, oh, I didn't do this, and then the Republicans go, yeah, we're not going to impeach because he didn't do this, when it's right there, it's in the... It's in the yes, yes, uh, yes. What's it called? That Trump, that Trump released himself, right? The phone call. Yes. And, and I... Said, right. Hey, I need you to do us a favor. I mean, what do you got to do, right? What do you, you got to do to prove that that's quid pro quo? And that, interestingly... That is, 
to that point, I read an article in the New Yorker about Fiona Hill, who was a an advisor to Donald Trump on Russia. Right? She came from a think tank that was a you know highly educated on foreign affairs, and her specialty. Yes, an amazingly intelligent woman. Yes, and her specialty was Russian. I read a whole article in the New Yorker where essentially. You know, she, when she first met Trump, because she didn't wear certain heels or certain, you know, presentation, he didn't like her from the beginning because all the women had to look pretty. And then that the people in the administration started to re- referring to her derogatorily as the Russia bitch and stupid shit. And she was a person with a wealth of knowledge on Russia who could really help him navigate Putin. Like he was on the call and she was like, I want to debrief, I want to brief him on Putin before he goes on. And he just ignored her and he just fell into the traps of Putin. But one of her testimony we all know was very vital in the fact that, yes, he he gave a quid pro quo to a incoming Ukrainian president saying, I will only meet with you in person for your notoriety and your public you know, accolades, if you open an investigation into Joe Biden's son. And that wasn't enough, except for Mitt Romney, who, by the way, let's be honest, I was not a fan of back in 2012, but he was the only one who had the friggin' conscious or common sense to say, that sounds wrong. I mean, Jesus. Right. Uh, Here's the deal. If this was, if this was, the time when Nixon was president, right? Right. The 70s, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And and Nixon went on TV and shook hands with a Russian dictator and said, <laughs> they told me that he didn't do it and I, I had no reason. The America would have come unglued. They'd have been like, get that fucking guy out. Right. Now. Right. That would have never happened, dude. That right. Been, that is so egregious in my mind that when I saw it, I was just, I was like shocked, you know what I mean? And and you can transpose that over this 11-year-old on the freedom train, right? Right. And me looking at that and going, did, did he just shake hands with Putin? Right. Say, yeah, I believe him. It's, it's, a, it's, in, so... And that's interesting too, right? So somebody like you, you've been in the armed forces, you've been, you're much, you know, and I don't mean it as an insult, you're older than me and a lot of the listeners. Yeah. You, you, you've been around. Until I made it this far. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool, right? So, you know, what do you see as the, is there a catalyst for the fact that we become so, we're almost so individually greedy over country, we don't have any common sense of decency anymore, we don't have any unified sense of what it is to kind of really be a patriot not a not a fake patriot who worships pictures of bald eagles but executes them in our environmental policies or worships american flags but don't doesn't give a shit about what the underlying ideals are i mean just as an older person i mean because we're gonna get back to your friend with trump too but this is just a great conversation i mean do you have any idea of like what kind of led to this where we are now what the hell the the yeah yeah absolutely and and I mean, it borders on conspiracy theory at some point. Right. But the reality is, as I grew up in, and, you know, your parents probably grew up in the same era. Right. Or thereabouts. Right. right? There was a harmony between the people, the races, even. It was, and there was no sexism, you know what I mean? Right. Because people were exploring their sexuality, and everything was becoming more homogenized and equal right and people were getting along and black people and white people and and hispanics and all everybody the the world i grew up in was far more homogenized and it was very much 
us against them. And I think I talked about this. On the right. Call, I see what you're saying. How, yeah, how the old movies used to be, you know, Smokey and the Bandit. And every movie was us against the man, right? And right. You made fun of me about that, but that's the only term I could think of to use to describe this government thing. And that, now, where the conspiracy part comes in is I feel like they've been playing this elaborate game of good cop, bad cop with us. Right. Since Reagan. Right. right? And so Reagan was, he was the first, like, pioneer of, he wasn't really bad cop, but his policies set into motion the things that we are dealing with today that are negative. Right. right. And, and you know what's interesting? I had seen documentaries and things on Reagan where he was so revered because he was a good speaker and all that. Yet, yet, the policies, yeah, the policies and their, like, actual residual effects are, like, unequivocally and, and, and objectively negative as hell for the country. Yeah, he tripled the debt. Almost, almost tripled the debt. Right. called out on that. He right. almost tripled the debt. Yes. And every president since then has doubled it. Right. And it, yes, right. It's been this, this, right, this, this trajectory we're on since then, this corporatist, you know, the, the, how about the tax code under Reagan, which was shifted from these, and you, Rick, let me ask you this. Do you ever notice that people don't understand the tax code, meaning they say we were taxed at 92% or whatever, but they don't understand that only the top end of your money was taxed at 92%. Like everybody's first 8,000 is nothing. Yeah, everybody's yeah. second is ten. <laughs> right, but it, isn't it crazy? People don't understand like the effects of that, and it just—it's interesting. It—it it really, really is. So that's an interesting point. That that's when you think it started to come apart. I have to agree, as not somebody who lived through it, but a student of history as far as economics, political okay. science thing. I have to agree. That's an interesting inflection point because I think. I think even when you and I get into it, the inflection point becomes this free-spirited thing of three decades or two decades before Reagan, when in reality, we would agree that the actual inflection point is the late 80s and the mid-80s, and that, that Reaganism, that kind of was the catalyst for our current predicament and our current yeah, decline. Yeah, I mean, the movie's changed, right? The movie changed. Yes. It was, greed, greed is good, right? Gordon Gekko's yes. greed, greed is good. And everything becomes money, and every be everything becomes the military or the police are going to save you, and right. on and on and on. And again, this is bordering on conspiracy, so I'm not totally advocating what I'm saying, but we've been, so we get a little bit beaten down, right? And then mm -hmm. we get Bush Sr., and we're all like, fuck this guy, and then we get... Clinton for eight years, and everybody's like, ah, oh, sweet, let's relax. Right. And then they're like, you had you had consensual sex with another woman, how could you? Right. Right. And and it's that's not that long ago. Right. That's not. It's that not long that long ago. And they they the Republicans, and it's a lot of the same Republicans, especially like Mitch McConnell. Those people were all there for that. Lindsey right. Graham, they were all there for that, and they're like, this is moral turpitude. And I think it was Lindsey Graham that even said. It doesn't matter if he broke the law. It right. It matters what he's representing. Yes, they, they the portrayed American it that president. way. Right. What? And, and so, go ahead. Well, when we talk about Clinton, because it's interesting that, you know, you and I are, we seem to sometimes disagree on, you know, Democrat in name or Democrat in actual progressive values. One thing about Clinton right. is 
again in hindsight, right? Like Reagan in hindsight. One thing with 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 Too Big to Fail, I forget the actual movie, but the documentary on the lack of oversight of banks and the deregulation. We revered Clinton was was the Republicans used the sex thing as a way to try to get at him, but kind of going back to our like moderate versus progressive. Clinton had a lot of very so moderate that they were almost Republican, and, and maybe my eyes, maybe yours, he deregulated the shit out of the banks, you know, and, and really contributed yeah. to this. He kind of bought into the Reaganism in a way that led to the recession. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but even the the hindsight on him was like, damn, he bought into that that corporate banking culture too, which led to our demise too. I I agree, and I don't I don't know if I've said this on your page or not, but my stance is there are distinct differences between Republicans and Democrats, even now. Right. The, the difference is Republicans are corporate, corporate and capitalism supportive, and they don't want to give you anything. Democrats are corporate and capitalism supportive, right. but they throw you the table scraps. Right. Interesting that, way to put it. Yeah. And that, to me, that is... That is the only difference. Is that the Democrats seem to understand that, look, if we don't feed and take care of the health of these people, they won't do the work and fight the wars and, you know, do everything that they do to, that makes this country thrive. But ultimately, let me, let me backpedal again to the 70s, right? Right. When we were all still kind of together as people. Right. What they did was they threw, again, conspiracy Sort of. Not they really. This isn't that conspiracy. This is kind of just, I think, political yeah, they threw, they threw tactics. The they saw, right. They saw the people getting together, and they saw the people fighting for what they believed in together. And they went, we can't have that. And so, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, SLC Punk. I know of it. Is, yeah, but I don't know if yeah, I've seen You should see that movie. But okay. his dad, you know, he's given his dad, he's a punk rocker, you know, he's a teen, he's, uh, you know, Disaffected and all of that, and right. he yells at his dad one day. He's like, "You sold out, right?" Right. And his dad goes, "No, son, I bought in." And I watched mm. my own friends' parents mm -hmm. do that. That, especially one specific friend, their parents were total hippies, right? Right. Hundred percent. And then as I got older, from because I knew them at fifteen and all the way up to now, and I watched them start to become more. I don't want to say yuppie because that's an old, old term. Yeah, but right, I know it, the term, though, right. More, more, con more considerate of their bottom line rather than their humanity. Right. And I think what happened, and this, is, uh, this feeds right into this uh, white privilege thing. Right. Is that they, they did. They, they bought us out. They bought white people out to get them separated, to get us all separated from where we had gone in the 60s and the 70s, which was together. And now you've got this group of, of divided people, and, and the black people are like, fuck white people, they can never do anything right, and that's an extreme end of it. Right. And you've got the white people are like, you know, fuck you guys, get your own. Mm -hmm. There's nothing stopping you at this point. Because it's, it, it's kind of true uh, on both sides, right? Right. It's kind of true, and they've put enough... Mm, there's a thing in the Avengers where they talk about how they're going to control the population. Right. And, and it's very insidious and sort of true. They're like, we don't have to... We found out that it's, 
if we go directly on attack, people will resist, right? That's right. What the, like the third, the third right taught. Right. People, right. Right. So they're like, if we just subtly manipulate the populace into this division, they'll come willingly. And, and they won't be able to stand up against us because interesting point divided. interesting point and, and, and that was that was a super deep thing for a, a comic book movie right, right. no right and, but, and, I, and I've seen that in my lifetime I, I've watched it I've watched it happen I've watched this division. like even some of my black friends from grade school we don't ever hang out anymore right no, they're always like eh. I'm like you need to teach me to play dominoes they're like eh. okay well you know I'm busy and it just so you're saying the overall country has gotten more divided on the basis of race and things than it was at one and, time. And become, right. And, and again, let's go back to the good cop, bad cop thing with the presidents, right? We had Obama and everybody was like, oh, shoot, a black president, you know, everybody on one side's like, yay. Right. Doing it, right. And the other people are like, fuck this guy, he's black. Right. Well, we knew that. Yes, yes. And so... Now we've got Trump, and Trump is like, he's playing bad cop a little too hard. I, I yes, yes. Republicans are starting to stand up and go, yes. hey, you, you need to simmer down. Mm-hmm. But Trump's so full of himself that he can't simmer down. That's a good point, too. That really is, too, because I think even the yuppies, what you say, a lot of those people still almost consider themselves having hippie ideals and whatever, for lack of a better term, with their you know, right. holistic medicine and this and that, but then in reality, they're bankers. I mean, because, you know, you got to understand, too, in New York, New Jersey, which I'm sure you know, that's even more prevalent because Wall Street was so prevalent that so many of these people that were free spirits or whatever they want to call themselves really, really just bowed down to the whims of the banks and whatnot. But even so, I started making enough money. Right. And now and now they've taken it away. Right. Well, we gave you this as bait. But now, no, we're going to take all that back. And, And we've seen that. We've seen corporations super profitable corporations, not so profitable. I mean, the middle class is dying, man. Right. Well, it's been dying. Yeah, the middle class. And, and Aristotle was one of the primary philosophers that I, I read that, you know, really believed in a robust middle class where any society, the only way for it to function properly is to have a robust middle class so that the rich and the poor are at the fringes and the middle class who has kind of this consolidated interest in balance and everything could really be the leader of the the civilization we've gotten so far away from that as our upper class grows in wealth and power and our lower class continues to expand because it's so difficult to be middle class i am theoretically middle class but my ability to own a home or to attain many things and i'm 35 already i'm not that young you know is kind of dissipated in a way i have to wait so much longer because the simple fact that the middle class is not that prevalent, not that easy to break into or to maintain, it's sad. But all that shit said, Rick, because all this was a good conversation, but I, just to get back before we end the call to your friend. So he he starts posting pro-Trump stuff in 2018. and Pro-QAnon stuff. Oh, yes. So, so not just pro-Trump, but essentially trying to spread misinformation based on conspiracy theories. All you do is comment, probably because you couldn't take anywhere. I've had friends like that. You just have to say something. And all you say is, like, what? Like, just like, hey, you should look into this or that or... Yeah, I would actually bring up stuff about, you know, like, the, the Pizzagate thing. I'm like, the, the guy went there. He, 
took right. a gun in there and he shot he shot open locks and he looked and he was like oh shit i've been had and he right put his hands up and the police arrested him right, right. the idea that and i think it was one of your buddies right mm-hmm. just the other day was saying well you know podesta emails podesta emails i'm like yeah, because I, I know they couldn't possibly be holding a fundraiser at a pizza place. Right, right, DC, right. right? And, or your buddy today, and I, again, I'm not calling out names, but he said he thinks Trump loves America, and he thinks, you know, the people that are Trump supporters are, uh, what's the word he used? It was objective. And I said... Wait, yeah, somebody said that, that Trump supporters were objective? On my yeah, page? His and he said, in his experience, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And he said, in his experience, and I said, yes, nothing says objective like neo-Nazis, white supremacists, white supremacists and QAnon. Right. totally objective. Right. <laughs> right. It's absurd. Who is this? You can tell me later who it was, because I don't even, I probably checked out of the post and didn't even see that, because I didn't remember that. Yeah, you, you do that. You tend to do that. You yes. You like start a little controversy. <laughs> yeah. And then back out. I leave. Yes. 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 That's a good point. Bad, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like. See, I have the same tendencies in a lot of ways. But yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's crazy that he would say that. It really is crazy. Right. So then but, you. But so he kept getting deeper and deeper, and and his response, even in person, man, he's like, "Well, I know things you don't know." Mm-hmm. Then, then tell me. Then tell me what they are, so I know too. Right. You know, I'm like. I'm not bragging in any gigantic cognitive sense here, but I know a lot of fucking things about right. a lot of fucking things. Right. And because of that, I know how much I also don't know. Right, 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 right. But, yes, but yes. these people, what's the saying? A little education is dangerous. Yes. Because these people, and my wife's sister is this way too. She's very much got a little bit of education and thinks she knows everything. Right. Strangely enough, she's a Trump supporter. Yeah, interesting. But so, and that's one thing I've noticed too with the conspiracy theories I was reading about it recently was one of the things that they find in these conspiracy theory people is that the part of the reason they subscribe to it is this false notion that they are privy to information that no one else is because it makes them feel more connected and more educated so they'll make these grand statements like i know things because they read on some message board and you as an objective thinker are like what tell me because it's probably bullshit and it it just makes them feel like they have a footing over you even though they know deep deep subconsciously down they don't, which is why they subscribe to the conspiracy in the first place. You know what I mean? Which is interesting. Right. It, 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 I mean, I don't know if you've seen that movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, You Were Never Really There or whatever. That, yeah, that I have. Yes, movie. yes, I yes. did see that. Yeah. Right. So, but my impression, right, is like the, the little niggling thing in the back of my brain goes, that's exactly what was happening with Trump and Epstein. Right. right? He was ho- handing over Ivanka. Mm-hmm. Right? Here's mine. Now give me yours. Right. Because right? that's what was happening in that movie. Right. I'm not saying that that's what actually happened. Right, 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 but, right. But the fact is, is that if anybody is involved in a pedophile ring, yes, point, it was Donald Trump. <laughs> right. We I all. Mean, right, 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 right. Been, there have been. Uh, cases brought to court and thrown out or re- re- pulled back or whatever, but everybody acts like that's not happening. And right. Ultimately, you you got this guy who is the most corrupt, 
what, what's the word I'm looking for? Politician, government official. But I'm just creating something. Right. But but he has cheated on every single wife. Yes, he's, yes. He's, he's, he is the epitome of, you know, religious belief in America. Mm-hmm, right, well, right, right. It's, it's shocking, so. Right. So, but this friend of yours, by the way, so then you just would, would follow up with just logical facts to just counteract this conspiracy bullshit. And it, yeah. did it ever get contentious in the actual Facebook? Like, did it ever get that contentious on social media, or was it kind of cordial until he called? No, yeah, it, was, it wasn't exactly cordial. I mean, he had said, because there was another guy that we are mutual friends with that was right. also a real-life person friend, and uh, he, would, he would come in on it, too. Right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we were double teaming the guy it wasn't like we were shaking him down like you're right. an idiot it <laughs> right like right that. It, it was just like that's just not true because here look at this look at right this. you know right. It was articles and it was multiple sources it was never you know because he was one of those guys who goes oh well you can't trust msnbc or you can't trust CNN yeah those people yes which are infuriating yeah. right and i'm like here's five different sources telling the same story Right. And then, like I said, it culminated in him calling me, mm-hmm. physically calling me, and just, just shrieking at me. Holy shit. So what was the final but, straw, though? What did you say that, like, what was the, what it was said on the night that he called you? He, he was telling me I need to shut the fuck up, and I said, you know me, you know I can't do that. Right. So if you want to terminate this friendship over it, and he's like, so be it, right? <laughs> Holy shit, yes. And then he wound up calling you. And yeah, did... Like, physically, that was the call. I mean, that wasn't a... That oh. Wasn't a, that, wasn't a that was the call. He was... I mean, and he was livid, man. He was just, like, psychotic almost, just yelling at me. I'm like, okay, first of all, you don't call me and yell at me. Right. right? Yes. Let's have a discussion. Yes. Like the fifty-plus-year-olds that we are. Right. Right. And it wasn't. He just. He just went and went and went. And I don't. I don't believe that any of these QAnon people are any different. They're all. They will all react that way. It's a weird, like hive mind. And right. Again, I compared it to the Tea Party, but far more dangerous than the Tea Party. Right. Yes, I agree with you. That's way more dangerous. So, I mean, even a couple of your friends, you know, you got a, one of your friends that's a female was talking about that. Well, you know, that's really happening. Yes, we know that children are being trafficked. We yes. Totally know that. Yes, we all do. But, but that's not why they're putting masks on. Dude, I saw that. I know. We all agree on that. We all agree on the absurdity of that. We all agree on the absurdity of that. That's why I shared that to say how absurd they were and the fact that anybody would even... That's what troubles me. The fact that anybody would even step up to the plate and try to defend that was on my page of all pages where you know people like you and people like me and all we're going to come up and challenge it is just crazy. You know, do you well, think... I the rest of that, right. that exchange, but we went into like, you know, well, what do you do for a living? And, right. You know, she tried to say, oh, well, I have my own business and I'm like, so you don't pay taxes, you don't have a license, you don't whatever. And she's like, no. I'm like, well, so then... You're cheating. I get it. I, right, I get right, you're a Trump supporter. Right. This is the other thing. Do you think the guy called you screaming and yelling because he really was angry with you for coming at him? Or do you think you hit a nerve because 
people tend to see themselves as peers and when you know a little more rather than listening and acknowledging that you might know something they can learn they just get enraged by the fact that you would ever presume to be able to tell them something do you know what i mean like People hate intelligence. Look yeah. at how people treat Obama. It's not just because he's black. Right. It's because he's articulate. Yes. Right? Yes. And Good like, point. I don't need that. They want fucking George Bush, which, you know, I used to laugh at that guy. I didn't Me like too. Right. Parties, but, right. But he loved America. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I said to your friend today, you know? No, George Bush Jr. loved America. Right. Donald Trump does not. Donald right. Trump loves Donald Trump. Agreed. But, but, my, but my friend, I mean... Yes, it's because I am, he has decided to cling to something, right? Right. In his life, for whatever reason, for whatever failing on his part, he's decided to cling to this idea that Trump is a savior and that QAnon is correct. Right, 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 right. When I start pushing him off the edge of that, he doesn't realize that there's a platform that he can still stand on. Right. right? And be solvent. He thinks, oh, my whole world is... Yes, right, right. They're so tied to that identity. And I don't understand that because he's not even been on the scene. Listen, if we were in, like, you know, Cuba or some some resistance regime where we, we had pledged our allegiance to some resistance leader or some president or something, I could see how your whole identity is tied to that. But Trump has only been on the political scene for the last four or five years. I know he ran before that, but like the fact that people's identities are so tied to him is baffling to me, to be honest with you. And unless it's like I said, they just share a cultural thing with him, i.e., their consumption of BS media and whatnot, they just share with them and they think it's an attack. It's very confusing, you know what I mean? They've just gone so far down the rabbit hole that they can't admit, okay. I was wrong because right. said to me constantly, you're gonna one day you'll find out how wrong you are, and I will I will not hold it against you, and we can still be friends. Right, right, right. yes, yes. And, and I was like, I hope I hope that that's true, but I don't expect an apology anytime soon. Like, right. for instance, when if Trump loses the election and goes to jail, I don't think this guy's gonna call me up and go, hey. You know, I'm sorry. Right, because he, because it's so, yeah, he's so tied to it. It's, it's scary how human beings are. Right. And yeah. Again, I, I never had an idea. Like for years, it bothered me. Like, how did the Weimar Republic happen? How did Hitler happen? Well, now I know. Right. right. Now you know. Sucks. Right. It's crazy. Yes. Now you know. Yes. The cult of personality. The, the dogma. We've now seen it manifest itself here, and I think. Another thing about people being in their own shells with their present sense, you know, bias thinking can never happen here is this idea that, you know, well, that was 1930s Germany, whatever. Like, that wasn't in the grand scheme of human history. That wasn't that long ago. That was a similar society. We were just as advanced. It was not that long ago. And it happened pretty easily. Right. Right. It's not that crazy. It's not. But they don't, they think, well, no, come on. He's not, not. I'm like, you're subscribing to the same fascist type, you know, things that they did in Germany in the 1930s. Jesus, it's not that crazy. It's not that far fetched. And it's so interesting, I guess, because to them, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, even though everything I'm saying is completely rational, logical, and they'll come back at me with the most far-fetched conspiracy theories ever just to justify their dogma, which is so evident yeah. to all of us. It's, it's very crazy. Well, that's, what, that's what's happened, right? That's what's happened in this, 
in this brave new world. Right. Is that Trump has unleashed that. And there's a part of me that goes, oh, thank God it's finally being exposed. But the fight to actually put it down and put right. it away forever right. is, is the hard part. Right? Agreed. Right. Right. Just crazy. But, Rick, I love your call. It was an awesome call. We got delved deep into it. Like, the whole second half of the podcast was this call, which was awesome. I appreciate it. You got to call back again, as you always do, next week and just continue the conversations. But, you know, have a blessed weekend. You know, enjoy it. We're going to end it now, and I'm going to wind down the show. But great call, great conversation. I think it really gave us all something to kind of contemplate in a lot of different ways. Not on the podcast where we're being recorded. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we could just have a phone call. I'd probably talk better than on the text. I agree, dude. So, Rick, awesome right, call. Guys. Appreciate the contributions a lot, and we will talk to you soon, brother. All right, later on. All right, later. So, Rick, once again, just makes a great call. He's just a, you know, kind of guy that just, you know, understands, you know, the world and kind of what the podcast is about and kind of contributes more people have to call. I know that uh, at the end of the day, you know, look, we've had a kind of a resurgence of the podcast, and I know people like to just tune in and listen and not so much call because it's just a dope thing to kind of just tune in and chill. But, you know, call up next week. You know, we, we want more, you know, back and forth. But, hey, even if you're the only one calling like Rick tonight, you call and it creates dialogue. And then when this thing gets released on Spotify and whatnot, it becomes a... a an interesting listen for people so whether it's live or not is really irrelevant um i want to remind everybody that this weekend so i'll be releasing this recorded podcast tomorrow on spotify and i should have other medians mediums coming through soon which i'll let you know when, when the podcast is available on them but i thank you for listening to me as you do every friday night I'm glad you joined me. I look forward to talking to you next week. Be on the lookout because next, this Sunday actually, this Sunday I'm going to be featured on D-Rock Productions. He has a partisan podcast, which is video. And it, um, you know, I'm going to be interviewed on there about my political views and different issues that we're going through. So tune in on Sunday. I will share the link. I'm on a video interview. You get to see me instead of just hear me for once, which is cool. Um, Tune into that. I will see you next week, same time, 9 Eastern time. And I look forward to talking to you then. And um, we will continue to discuss all the issues of the day. Hopefully there'll be some more news and I'll be a little more passionate about it. But regardless, I hope to hear from you then. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for remaining tuned in. Thank you for remaining loyal listeners to the podcast. And I very much look forward to talking to you again very soon. Download on Spotify. Please share with your friends. We are the Logic and Larry podcast. We always do what makes sense. We don't care about sides. And I hope you had a pleasant time listening to me and listening to the smooth vibes behind me as we undertook this intellectual journey tonight. I look forward to talking to you soon, and I wish you all a good night and a good summer weekend because it's coming to a close very soon as Labor Day fast approaches. Good night.